Coming up on the WAC Podcast, it's decision time for fall sports. A lot of decisions could be made this week regarding the NCAA and what's going to be happening this fall in the Western Athletic Conference. We're going to visit with Marlon Edge, Associate Commissioner of the WAC, to find out what the latest is. And we're going to talk to Russ Bradbird. Very interesting conversation. The former assistant coach at New Mexico State under Lou Henson. Get his thoughts on the passing of the legendary coach. That's all ahead on the WAC Podcast. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the WAC Podcast. Alongside Eric Danner, I'm Rachel Vigil. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great, Rachel, uh, or, or as good as can be expected here since it's August and uh, everything we see, Rachel, we have no idea really what's uh, what's happening uh, in terms of when everything is going to get started. Now we're hearing, as we record this on a Monday morning, uh, the Power Five conferences, we're having some uh, meeting on Sunday, and then there's there's talk that a couple of the, the you know, Pac-12 and Big Ten are leaning towards it canceling the fall season or at least postponing it until the spring. So all kinds of things up in the air here. And as, as we're sitting here on August 10th and when the show comes out on August 11th, who knows what the uh, latest news will be. It's ever changing. That's for sure. I saw a tweet this morning from Chris Budden. She's an ESPN reporter. And she said on March 12th, things were constantly changing, right? Like every single time you got on your phone, something new had happened. And then we had months of just like stagnant news where we weren't sure what was really going on. And now it's like today, things are just constantly changing again. Like every hour you look on your phone, this is happening. So the WAC's still waiting on their decision for the fall. The board had a meeting and they decided to postpone again to see what could come up in the next couple of weeks or the next couple of days, I guess I should say. So they will meet again on Friday, hopefully. Yeah, the drop dead date given by the NCAA is August 14th now, which is this Friday. But again, if if the Power Five start canceling, uh, that could speed up that process. But if the Power Fives don't cancel, uh, that that could have the reverse effect, and maybe everybody's like, "Hey, let's let's see what we can do." There is that fifty percent number uh, that the NCAA has come out and said, "Okay, if if there's fewer than fifty percent uh, participating in a sport, we're not going to have a championship in that event." So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there if these sports will move to the spring to give these student athletes an opportunity still to compete. We've talked about on the show, Rachel. Uh, even though that sounds uh, like the most plausible thing, it, it does create some uh, some problems in terms of you know sta- <laughs> staffing and those kind of things uh, with schools and facilities and it, it just uh, it's a really unfortunate thing. But uh, maybe that's the way we go. True, and there's a lot of students athletes right now that are coming out and doing kind of what the NFL did of the we want to play. And for a lot of them, it's actually safer to go to campus and to be getting tested regularly and, you know, be in a controlled environment compared to being back at home and having to stay in shape in their local gym. So I feel like that's something that's kind of come out that maybe I'm sure people have thought about, but it's bringing like a new light to it. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence came out, uh, the quarterback at Clemson, and and had that exact statement, Rachel. And and that is the, you know, the argument is that the these players would be safer in a controlled environment with medical care easily available as opposed to being at home when you might be exposed to a lot more people who haven't been tested and those kind of things. So it's it's a good point. But uh, the other part of it, Rachel, is all this testing is going to cost money. And certainly, the, you know, the Clemsons and the Alabamas uh, have a little deeper pockets maybe than a lot <laughs> of other schools. So that's also a consideration. And if you're testing all these student athletes, why aren't you testing everyone are, are, are their lives more valuable than the, the student body that's another argument so I actually had a going away party for a friend it's a very very small going away party um, but his sister was going to be starting at CU Denver um, she's moving in today actually and she is getting tested now that she's moving into the dorms so I wonder how many universities are actually going to be testing their students I, I haven't really heard of any because it is, it does cost a lot of money, but she did say she was going to get tested. So that's huh. an interesting clause too. Well, and then, you know, with, are they going to be, you know, in-person classes? 
are they going to be a hybrid? Are they going to be just online? Because you, you move into the dorms and then, you know, if there's an outbreak and they say, okay, it's going to be all online, then you're just sitting in a dorm doing, you know, Zoom classrooms, which you could be doing virtually anywhere and uh, paying a lot of money to live in a dorm. So true. Well, moving back onto the sports field real quick, let's talk about WAC Player of the Year, Milan Aqua. He officially has announced that he is leaving CBU, going to see, you know, what the next step of his career will be. So we wish him luck. Yeah, and remember, Milan tested the NBA waters last year as well. And basically, so he would get an understanding, okay, here's what they're looking for in the NBA in terms of here's what you need to work on, those kind of things. And he was able to come back. He didn't sign with an agent. So he was eligible again this year, and he was WAC Player of the Year. Was a little bit of a different player this past year than he was the year before. Seemed to be more of a scorer in uh, in his first year at CBU and, and really uh, seemed to become more of a, a point guard type uh, this year. And uh, he's a very good defensive player, very good offensive player, has a, a very quick uh, hesitation shot. It'll be interesting, Rachel, to see if he does – uh, attract uh, some NBA attention there because, you know, we, we haven't seen a guy drafted since Pascal Siakam, who obviously is having a great season again in Toronto, but uh, that uh, Milan could be one of those guys that, uh, you know, breaks through and makes it to the NBA. Who knows? And obviously we wish him the best of luck, but uh, the Undefeated put out an article about the players that are likely done with college and headed to the NBA, and Milan is on there along with Treble and Queen who both have a shot at making it to the pros. Yeah, and uh, Trevlin, you know, it, it's a guy that we've seen uh, a few times the past few years. He was MVP of the WAC tournament uh, and seems to have all the tools. And then we can actually uh, ask Russ Bradbird in our next segment uh, what he thinks about uh, Trevlin's uh, pro chances as he's the analyst for New Mexico State basketball and has coached a number of NBA guys and has an idea what they're looking for there. But uh it uh, it could be a lot of fun whenever that NBA draft is. I think they're looking at October, November uh, now once the season is over with the possibility of next NBA season starting around Christmas time if everything goes well. So we could have a couple of, of WAC players selected, uh, which obviously for us is very exciting. We would love that. I think it's really interesting to hear kind of the talk around pro sports too about how – with the season starting later that like that could continue on like to upcoming years too, you know, there's talk about the NBA always starting around Christmas time or in December, which obviously it starts way earlier normally. So I, I like hearing kind of the different possibilities of what could happen in years to come. So here's what the, that article on the undefeated said about traveling queen, six foot seven guard from New Mexico state, a super athlete who can get to the basket score at all levels while creating his own shot when necessary. He created a buzz in the Washington Summer Pro-Am League a few years ago. He was the WAC uh, Tournament MVP, uh, reminiscent of Kerry Kittles and Eddie Jones, a couple of guys I'm familiar with who had uh, great NBA careers. And then they say Milan Aquas, three point guard from, uh, they say Cal Baptist. We're not supposed to say Cal Baptist. California Baptist, CBU. <laughs> he was uh, the WAC Newcomer of the Year, has an NBA body, uh, toughness to be a coveted two-way player the league likes. He's got a high skill level with the ability to score and pass and get to the basket. He uh, reminds me of Toronto Raptors guard Kyle Lowry. So a uh, very high praise indeed from uh, from the undefeated article on, on both those players. So, yeah, sign him up. Both of those players, we'd love to see it. And let's also talk about the Raptors rolling in the bubble, man. They are freaking a storm. And, of course, we love to see a former WAC player, um, Pascal Siakam out there as well. Yeah, whack player of the year left after his sophomore year. And he, he's done it the hard way. You know, he was a, a late first round pick, had to go to the G League his first year where he was MVP of the G League, uh, came in, you know, obviously kind of had to wait his turn to be the guy. And people kind of gave up Toronto this year. So they, they lose Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they're not going to be as good. And Pascal has really stepped up into that role as the the top guy for the Raptors. And a lot of people uh, are picking them, Rachel, now to uh, get back to the NBA championship and maybe win the NBA title again. Their defense is undef. I mean, they're, they just look so good, right? They, they have the people who can put the ball in the basket, but 
for the fact that their defense is so good and they can go out there and they can just stop pretty much anyone. I, I'm really excited for the NBA playoffs this year. Like I know the bubble is like a totally different world and there won't be fans and everything like that, but I think it's going to be such good basketball. I'm really excited. And you never know who could, who could win it all. You know, and Chris Jans, the coach at New Mexico state obviously did not coach Pascal when he was there, but he did coach uh, Fred Van Vliet, the point guard for the Raptors who uh, was at Wichita State when Coach Jans was there. So there's a couple of whack tie-ins there for the Raptors if you're looking for a team to root for in the, the NBA bubble. Also, we, we want to congratulate to Seattle U for winning the WAC Academic Award, uh, which we handed out this past week, Rachel. And that goes to the school basically with the best grade point average uh, for the past year for their student-athletes. Also, what their GPA is versus the student body uh, GPA and a couple other factors there in uh, Seattle U with a fantastic year in the classroom. 3.43 GPA across 20 varsity sports. That is outstanding and congratulations to them. Love to see them do great out on their sports, but also in the classroom. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're known for their academics at Seattle U. So not, not a huge surprise that they win that, but uh, definitely uh, take Take our hats off to the Red Hawks for a great year in the classroom. I saw also uh, Tarleton State is going to be uh, debuting a new look this this week. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I saw the the sneak peek, man, and from what I saw, I'm very excited for it as well. I know there were so many people that commented, and they were like, the weight is killing me. And then, of course, they have, like, the purple poo and their <laughs> their whole mascot thing. <laughs> but it does look really I said it says new and it says look feel era. So I I'm excited for it. I so, can't wait so, to see yeah, it. Of course we're happy there in the whack. If that's logo, is it uh, yeah, is it uniforms? I am not sure. They're they're keeping us on the edge of our seat here with uh, Tarleton State. Also another new member of the WAC Dixie State University. Uh oh, man. football not a, a Wax sport, but their Dixie State football team making some big news, Rachel. Big news. They saved a woman from a dangling <laughs> rock. Her hair got stuck as she was climbing a local rock. It's called the Dixie Rock. And her hair got stuck in her equipment. And she was not able to lower herself down. So the Dixie football team had to help her get back up to the top of the rock and provide that assistance. And you watch, there's two videos on there. If you have an opportunity, go to fox13now.com. It's the Fox or local Fox thing in Salt Lake City. And they show the videos and the football team all helping and really just like getting the assistance for that woman. And their head coach, Paul Peterson, says that he plans a time every year for them to all go to Dixie Rock to discuss the upcoming season and the importance of the team to the community. And this one just really, you know, kind of went in the for the for the team to be in the right place at the right time and they were able to help that woman it's a crazy story and the videos are pretty intense too yeah it makes you wonder if they weren't up there what what would have happened you know uh i mean right place right time and and likely you know these big strong football players were there to uh to save her from this dangling uh, rock here i know I, I saw that one of the football players said like we lift all the time and you know we're getting stronger every time so why not put it to like actual use and help somebody out so that's very true why not do that and it does look like a, a spectacular view up there as well so you can see why uh, they do make that hike up to dixie rock every year uh, rachel uh, you were in the bubble uh, with the mls with the colorado rapids for several weeks uh, so you're very familiar with with all the protocols with COVID and that kind of thing. Uh, what what's the story with the MLS in terms of a uh, regular season coming back? That was part of their MLS is back tournament, uh, which I believe has concluded now. Uh, but or there there might be the championship left. But what's uh, what's going on with the rest of the league and uh, as far as a restart with the MLS? The restart for the Rapids. So they're starting phase one, which will start on August 22nd. And they'll play, I believe it's six matches um, going forward before they possibly go into phase two. So with that being said, they're all in market again. They'll play and travel. Uh, the Rapids will open up against Real Salt Lake at Dick Sporting Goods Park here in Colorado. So it's very much going in phases. I feel like a lot of people are waiting to see what happens with the NFL just because they're such a leader in sports all around to see how they can handle fans coming back in. But some MLS clubs are even allowing fans to come in at a limited capacity. Um, Sporting Kansas City is allowing 14% of the stadium's population to come in for phase one. So it depends on each club and how they want to go about handling it. 
So the final is actually tomorrow night or uh, when we have this go out, it'll be August 11th. So that night, uh, Portland versus Orlando at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. So if you have an opportunity to check that out, it'll be a really good matchup and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, obviously fans can't go. And, but Orlando, which I think that, that's a pretty big upset that they they made it all the way to the final because I don't think they were the high-ranked teams going into the tournament. Uh, obviously, they're familiar with living in Orlando, but uh, uh, that's good for them to make it all the way to the championship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Colorado played Orlando in their home opener back in March a real, real long time ago, um, <laughs> and the Rapids won, so – that just shows you for sports, like anything can happen. Obviously, Colorado Rapids got kicked out after the first three matches, and then Orlando goes in to, you know, have a chance to win it all. So yeah. uh, congratulations to them and to Portland to making it that far. That's a long time to spend in the bubble. So <laughs> <It seems laughs> um, I like give them major props. Seems like you've been home for, for, yeah, for quite some time. And, and you wondered that with the NBA guys, too, because, uh, you know, they'll be wrapping up here. I think the, each team has uh, three games left, and – you know, there's going to be, I think, eight teams sent home after that or, or you know, they'll have the 8-9 uh, game, I think, in the West or the best two out of three. But, uh, yeah, you wonder about that, how many of them at this point are just like, okay, we're not uh, we're not giving it 100% here the last three games we want to go home. Right. You Honestly, I feel like the competitiveness of all of these players, like, comes out and they, they do just want to win. Uh, but I feel like maybe when you're not out on the court, you're like, oh, man. I have to go have this meal again. Or I or I also think the NBA bubble is a little bit different than the MLS bubble, um, just because of the money factor that the NBA, NBA yeah, has compared yeah. to the MLS. So, uh, I mean, you saw players ordering huge plasma TVs because they were like, well, we're going to be here for three months. Like, we might as well make ourselves at home. So you never really know. But, uh, I mean, the bubble's, the bubble's unique. And I, I've even heard talk about continuing the bubble for, like, years to come just kind of different circumstances so who knows what will actually happen with them yeah i did see a couple of articles rachel uh it, it was on uh on twitter uh, you know a couple of ideas again nothing like in stone here but that they were saying how they should uh, do bubbles for college basketball and, and there was an idea to have you know 30 different bubbles around the country and how many games they'd play i mean there's so many logistics that go to that as you know being in the mls bubble and you know we're at food and and all you know it costs money i mean it's it's pretty expensive i think uh, you know to have somebody on the road for that long but you know those ideas are out there and uh, it's definitely worked for the mls it's worked for the nba and the wnba so far you know knock on wood in terms of covid cases i don't think the nba's had any um and you know they're the ones that the mls had were beforehand and so, you know, it seems to be a good format, but, uh, yeah, pretty expensive to do. Very expensive. And, Eric, breaking news right now just came out. The Big Ten Conference will not play college football this fall. Wow. USA Today just tweeted it out. So, wow. there it is. Well, maybe by the end of the show, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to change this around. <laughs> well, when we come back, we're going to talk to Russ Bradbird. We had him on a few months ago. A very interesting guy to talk to. He's a Mexico State's basketball analyst, but he was also an assistant coach for Lou Henson, who just passed away recently. Has a, a ton of Lou Henson stories and, and a very good, uh, interesting guy to talk to. We'll talk to him when we come back on the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC Podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner, Rachel V. Hill. We're now joined by Russ Bradbird, who's the TV analyst for New Mexico State men's basketball, but that's only the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, jobs that he's had. Uh, Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. It's good to be back, Eric. Thank you. Russ, uh, first off, we want to offer condolences to you uh, as uh, Lou Henson passed away uh, this past week at the age of 88. I know you had a, a long relationship with him, uh, where his assist was his assistant coach. Uh, what was uh, what was it like uh, uh, working for, for Coach Henson? Well, the truth is, Eric, I didn't know him well when I started working for him. And uh, but uh, so I kept thinking, well, this is all going to change when we lose a tough game or when things get, you know, because there's always ups and downs in a college basketball season. But, you know, so I kept thinking, listen, we're going to find out what he's really like soon. 
and even you know with the door closed and things going badly either in the locker room or the coaches coaches offices or just driving with him in the car to the airport no matter uh, how bad things had gotten he was just utterly a gentleman and always polite and always decent and always upbeat he was it was really remarkable and um you know, and I think at first the players, and, and I did too, we, I think everyone thought it was a little bit corny. Like he just seemed old fashioned. Like he seemed like he was right out of, you know, like a Leave it to Beaver episode or something. But it was genuine and he had such charisma. And, and uh, uh, you know, I think the word legend gets tossed around all the time. I don't, th- I don't think of Lou as a legend. He was, he was really one of us. And he was sort of from middle America and the, the best parts of, you know, sometimes old fashioned can get taken in funny ways, but I think he was the best of, uh, you know, he really represented the best of sort of an old fashioned America. What was one of your favorite memories of him? Well, the one that I, I, you know, I wrote about Lou at length for the Albuquerque Journal and the Chicago Tribune. But the one story, Rachel, that didn't go in there is I remember the first time we went, he went back to the pit, which is, you know, UNM's, you know, uh, you know, vaunted court that everyone fears going to the pit. It's a mile high. And and when you go up for the national anthem, you know, the players always leave the floor for the national anthem. And so you have to walk this gauntlet sort of through this, you know, it's sort of this almost like a tunnel that you have to get through to get to the, and boy, they just blister you. But so it was Lou's first time back since, you know, he'd been there, of course, in the seventies, but it was his first time back in, in 97, I guess it was. And we were walking up to, and he's smiling and waving every, everybody like he always does. And some guy sort of leaned close as Lou was smiling, waving, just let loose with the most foul expletives I've ever heard in my life. Just right, just three feet from Lou's face. And he just smiled and waved and kept walking. And I thought, boy, he really is unflappable. Uh, that, you know, that no matter, you know, even when, even when there's anger and uh, frustration and foul language in his face, his immediate reaction was to react with grace and, and dignity. And I think it's, you know, and there's different ways. I don't want to criticize other coaches that are, that curse or that kind of thing. I think most coaches are cursors, but I think there's more than one way to, you know, to win and one more than one way to skin a cat. And so, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, for example, what, what, you know, what Dick Hunsaker was doing that was winning so many games at Utah Valley was very different from what Mark Pope, who succeeded him, was was doing. And I think there's more what, the way Rod Barnes coaches and is doing so well at uh, at uh, Bakersfield is very different from what Lou Hill is doing at, at, at UTRGV. But but I do think that in many ways, Lou is really a, a, a beacon for all of us is this is the way this is the way we're supposed to behave. We're talking with Russ Bradbird from New Mexico State and Russ, uh, in your coaching career, you, you got to coach with Don Haskins at UTEP. How did you make your way to New Mexico State? I know it's not that very far from El Paso to uh, Las Cruces, but uh, how did you make your way to New Mexico State and then under the staff of Lou Henson? Well, your, your viewers will be shocked, or your, your listeners will be shocked, Eric, but I was at UTEP for eight years, and we went to seven NCAA tournaments, but I got fired for, for I was accused of giving players rides to their summer jobs, which now was legal, but at the time it wasn't, and so I lost my job over that and went back to Chicago, uh, which is actually how I met Lou Henson briefly. I was doing a scouting service in Chicago, and when the, the, an Aggie job opened up when Neil McCarthy was the head coach, and I think that, you know, I had a, I had a good reputation in the area. El Paso was only thir- uh, 35 miles from Las Cruces, and they're fierce rivals. The fans are fierce rivals, but the coaches always and the players always seem to get along. It's something that I think a lot of insiders don't understand is the players and coaches almost always get along. It's the fans that are screaming at each other. But uh, so I, I got on with, with, with Neil McCarthy, and when – uh, when the athletic director made a coaching change, uh, uh, he decided to bring in Lou Henson. And as often often happens, the, the new coach clears out the old staff and brings in his whole staff. And Lou did that, except for that he, he decided to keep one holdover. And I was the holdover. And I knew him a little bit from from my days in Chicago. And I knew the new athletic director a little bit as well. And so I was really lucky to keep my job. And it was a time when the program was really in crisis. There'd been, there'd been a lot of controversy and, you know, Lou was, you know, he was just very calming and, and he was able to unite people and, and, and pretty quickly started winning again right away. Was there any backlash from the fans? Well, I think there, you know, anytime there's a coaching change, it can be, I think it can be traumatic, but uh, I think, you know, because Lou had gone to school at New Mexico state 
and coached at Las Cruces High School. He'd won three state championships at the local high school. And, you know, he'd raised his kids here and had, had done so well at New Mexico State in the 60s and 70s. You know, he took New Mexico State to the Final Four then. So he, he had this long history of, uh, a long history of goodwill. And one of the things that, you know, that I immediately noticed is he couldn't walk 10 yards across campus without some secretary or mother or, you know, someone coming up and giving him a hug. Oh, you coached my father at Las Cruces High School or you were my, you were my mom's math teacher or those kinds of things. So he had, he had years and years of goodwill. And one of the things that I just recently came to understand is part of the reason Lou was so popular right away is he took the job at New Mexico State in 1967 the first time or 66, sorry. And at that time, UTEP was the defending national champions, and New Mexico State was terrible. But Lou beat UTEP and Don Haskins the first 10 times he played them. And so that really established Lou, I think, as a, in the, within the state is he immediately got uh, New Mexico State respect, and it really uh, gave him this aura in, in, in Las Cruces that he was able to not just beat uh, Texas Western and then they, they became UTEP, not just to beat them one, the defending na national champions once, but beat them 10 times in a row. And uh, six of those games were, were with Nate Archibald that, uh, uh, that Rachel, you're probably too young to remember. Eric, you're probably too young to remember. <laughs> Nate Archibald, remember. One, of the greatest, one of the greatest guards in UTEP history was Owens, uh, or in, in basketball history was Owen six against Lou Henson. Yeah, Russ, we actually put together a, a list of Hall of Famers that played in the WAC, and, and uh, Archibald did play in the WAC for, for a little bit in that to cross over time. Texas Western, when they won the national championship, was not in the WAC, but by the time he was a senior, they were. And uh, I think it was our first basketball Hall of Famer that, that actually played in the conference. So, yeah, I'm, I'm an old basketball junkie like you. So That's right. <laughs> now, uh, speaking of being a basketball junkie, and we talked uh, last time you were on the show about how you just love to tell stories, and, and that was really one of your passions, and you got kind of burnt out on coaching uh, because it's so taxing, and, and you went into Coach Henson's office and told him you wanted to be a writer, and a lot of coaches, like you said, they, they might uh, tell you to take a hike, but Coach Henson didn't do that to you. He was very supportive, and I, I also want to uh, say, Eric, that when I say I was burned out, I know it's not like being a, a cop in Chicago or a, a factory worker in, in, in Peoria. I mean, it was it was it was a you know in a lot of ways it was a, a fun job, but there was never an off day, and I had started to get sort of selfish with my time, and I went in to to tell Lou this was in August. I'd been thinking about it for a while, and and I was I was actually ready to retire before Lou came, and then. Lou was so happy and, and uh, upbeat and high energy. I was sort of ashamed. Like, I can't tell this guy that I'm tired and burned out. I, you know, look at him. He, at that time, he was in his late 60s and out working all of us. And, but I finally decided to do, I'd met a writer on, on the New Mexico State campus named Robert Boswell, who happened to be a big basketball fan. And I got very interested. I was always a reader, but got interested in the writing aspect and uh, I was as interested in hearing stories as I was telling stories. And so when I went in to tell Lou, uh, I finally came to a tough decision thinking uh, that I would go get, my, go get my master's degree. And then the, the plan was, you know, I was probably the worst player in Division Three history. But, but, you know, at many of the Division Three schools, you have to have the master's degree to teach. And so my plan originally was I'll get the master's degree and then go find, a, a, you know, a, a great Division Three school like a – North Park College where I went or an Illinois Wesleyan or something like that. Um, but, um, but when I went in to tell Lou, I was ready for him to be angry because it was, you know, school was about ready to start. And he was, you know, he was, as, of course, I don't know what I was thinking of. I knew him for three years by then, but he was completely upbeat and positive about it and said, wait there for a minute and went and told the athletic director. And he came back and said that the athletic department was going to pay for my tuition, which, you know, wasn't, the huge buyout that uh, that some coaches uh, that some coaches get, but it was it made it made things doable for me uh, that I was at least able to do. And I found out later that Lou's son, the, the late Lou Henson Jr., who died maybe I think in his late 30s or 40s, he died in a car crash in an ice storm. But Lou Henson Jr. had been sort of a, of a closeted writer. He was a big reader, and he wrote poetry and wrote short stories. In fact, his daughter, Lacey Henson, was a student of, of, of ours at New Mexico State in the writing program. And so Lou was pretty sympathetic about it. Uh, um, he was, you know, Lou was much, more so than many coaches. He was very in tune with 
what else is going on on campus. And he, I think he saw himself as just a part of campus and didn't see himself as, as the center of campus. I think at the, you know, I think it'll, not so much in the WAC probably, but a lot of the power conferences, but I think Lou's, the coaches might sort of overinflate their own self-importance, but I think Lou always sort of saw himself as just one of the, he was one of many people working on campus. I read your story on the Chicago Tribune about Coach um, Henson picking up trash, and I would love for you to share that with our listeners here, just because I think I, that whole story just like blew my mind. To hear that a coach picked up trash after a game, I think is amazing. It, 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 Rachel, it was weird. You know, we, we, it was our first uh, home game, and uh, you know, the arena, we'd go into, went into the locker room and talked to the team, and then we were walking out afterwards just to go through, you know, through the through the concourse to get to the, and he kept stopping and bending over and picking up trash. And I thought, I thought maybe he was just going to do it with the one or that, or that maybe it had been something like, you know, maybe he wanted a souvenir program. You know, I've done that where I grab a souvenir program for, you know, somebody on the, or one of the players, you know, mothers, you know, if they're featured, but he, yeah, he kept bending over and I said, coach, we've got, you know, there's, a, a, you know, the, custodians they're paid to do that in fact there's an army of students that they hire part you know for two or three hours a night to clean up and they're all waiting to, till the arena empties out before they you know rush through with their brooms and he said now russ our you know our janitors have enough to worry about without picking up trash from our fans and i just thought wow that's that's very different and i i do think he had a humility uh a humility and i think now I know I didn't know it at the time, but you know Lou was very religious, and he was a regular churchgoer. I'm not a religious person, but you would have never known Lou was religious except for to watch him, you know, watch him in, in life. He didn't hit you on the head with it. He didn't brag about it or condemn, you know. Condemn. In fact, even with the cursing, you know, he never did say to anybody, "I don't want to hear any more cursing in here." It was just that he'd give you a look. The look was enough, and pretty soon everybody everybody adapted to it. Now, last time we had you on, Russ, uh, you talked about Sean Harrington and your relationship with him, former New Mexico State player uh, who was uh, shot trying to protect his daughter uh, while shielding her, and he unfortunately is paralyzed, has a lot of uh, medical issues and those kind of things in terms of, of bills, and and you've had a number of people kind of step up, celebrities, what have you, and Coach Henson, one of those people that, that stepped up and, and uh, helped you with, Coach, or with uh, Sean Harrington. Well, yeah, Lou was great about it. And Lou didn't coach Sean Harrington, but he immediately, I think, recognized the power of Sean's story. You know, the, you know, uh, he, you know, Sean dove on top of his daughter and saved her life when, when the bullets started flying, but took a bullet in the back. And I know that, you know, Lou lost his own son in, in, the, in the ice storm, in a car accident in an ice storm. And I think for a lot of us that, uh, you know, before I had, I have a daughter now, Eric, and before I had a daughter, like I remember hearing that Nolan Richardson's lost his daughter, and I thought, oh, that's sad. But when you have your own kid, suddenly, suddenly the fate of every child seems to, you know, the, seems to be hugely important. And so I know, I think with Lou, he was very moved by Sean's heroism in saving his kid. I mean, I, I imagine like a lot of parents that Lou would have traded places with Lou to save Lou Jr.'s life. And I think he found that story moving. But also, I think he was also, uh, I think they're somewhat, uh, I, th I think they were sort of kindred spirits. You know, Sean is remarkably upbeat for somebody who's, you know, who, who you know, who's paid such a huge price and has had such struggles because of health care and jobs and that kind of thing. But, you know, Sean has remained remarkably upbeat, which I think is sort of true to the Lou Henson way. Coach Henson also had his own health issues, but he still made appearances at the Pan Am Center. What was the reaction from fans when they would show him there? Rachel, I will never forget going to one of the Aggie basketball, we do the Aggie basketball banquet in the, uh, on the floor of the Pan Am Center. You know, it's actually on the Lou Henson court. And the, the last time Lou was there, because of his, uh, because of his battles with the leukemia, the non, or the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, he had a mask on. This is well before masks became so popular in America. So he had the mask on because his immune system was compromised and he was in a wheelchair because he wasn't getting along very good. And I was at his table and person after person who came up to him, now there he is in a wheelchair with a mask on, coach, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. You know, he just, he was just, it was just incredible how he could stay so upbeat 
and still, and I don't think, you know, again, at, at first I thought it was an act, but when you never waver from that, that positive attitude, I think there was a real, so there, there was a real power to it. And I found it very moving to sit with them and person after person uh, that, that came up, you would have just thought that Lou had just won the lottery or something like that. He was just as happy as could be. Now, Russ, uh, news uh, of Coach Henson's uh, death broke uh, about a week or two ago now. And actually, by the time the news hit, he had already had a, a funeral. I know a lot of people in Las Cruces, a lot of people and New Mexico State fans would probably like to pay their respects to Coach Henson. Do you know if anything's in the works for, for some well, sort of uh, memorial for him? I, I, do, I, don't, I know that Mario Mochia and, and many of that has sort of started this drive to get Lou elected into the – Hall of Fame, the Nesmith Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. He's already in the College Basketball Hall of Fame in Kansas City, but uh, you know he's he's finished his career as one of the top twenty winningest coaches ever. Um, but I think it was in some ways it was Lou Henson's last gift to all of us. It was a reminder that you know there were eight people at his ceremony, and I think that he did not see himself. That's why I I, I don't want to call Lou Henson a legend because he refused to think of himself that way. I think he was. I think he was one of us. I think he was, you know, just just a regular guy in many ways. And uh, and I think that his funeral was an indication of that. Rather than plan some sort of big event, it, it came, you know, it came and went. And even in New Mexico, uh, you know, even in New Mexico, it got plenty of attention. But there hasn't been, I think, because of the virus and those kinds of things. I think in some ways it was lose modesty. And I think it was in some ways it was the family's idea that we don't want to endanger people just to, to glorify Lou Henson. That would have been the last thing that he wanted. So I think the virus has put us, sort of put a squash on it. But we do have the court named after him here. There's a court named after him at, at the University of Illinois. And I'm sure there are, I'm sure, I know that Mario Mochia, the athletic director, was, was a huge fan of, of Lou Henson. And I'm sure there will be other things that unfold. It just depends on what happens with the season this year. We've talked a lot about Coach Henson. Now let's talk about you, Russ, for a little bit. I know you have many jobs at New Mexico State, one of those being a professor. So what is this fall semester looking like right now at this time for New Mexico State? Well, uh, you know, I, 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 it's funny how I keep going back to what I learned from Lou Henson and Don Haskins, even in the classroom, just the way that they, they were different in many ways, but the way they dealt with people and the way they, you know, the way they didn't want to go around making enemies. Coach Haskins sort of believed in the power of negative thinking. Like no matter how, if you think, if you think things are going to go badly, you'll be pleasantly surprised. And whereas Lou was the opposite, but I'm, I'm having to do something I'm not at all comfortable with. And that's teach uh, three classes online. And, and, uh, you know, I teach, I teach all writing classes split between graduate students and, and undergraduate students. Occasionally there's a, there's a little bit of a sports angle sometimes, particularly if they let me teach nonfiction. But uh, but in general, I, I I do think there's a there's a I, I do think there's a great value to a. Uh, the, I know the New Mexico State MFA is, is has gotten a lot of attention, and, and I do think there's a certain value to whatever field you're in. If you're a lawyer, you know you've got to tell this tell the, a good story to the jury, a believable story. If you're a salesman, you've got to tell a good story. If you're a basketball recruiter, you know whoever can tell the best story often has an advantage. And so I think the, the art of storytelling is something that will, that is still valuable, you know, still has a huge value, even though it's somewhat of an arts degree. Uh, it's still, you know, we're all wired for stories. And so I know if, if I were to ask you, Rachel, tell me about yourself, you don't say, well, I'm 87% uh, H2O. And, and, you know, or, or my blood type is a type O, you know, you, you tell us, you, you know, you tell your story. My parents were from here and we met there. And when I got my degree from Colorado State, it's, we're all wired for stories. And so I, I, I love that part of my job. And it's actually the thing that I miss the most about basketball is there are so many great stories that came out of the game. Russ, uh, as we're sitting here on Monday, uh, things are changing very rapidly in the sports world. Uh, as we've been uh, recording this, I guess the Big Ten's come out, said they're not going to have football this fall. Um, I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Pac-12 is expected to follow suit, but who knows. Um, assuming basketball gets underway and could be delayed, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, i got to ask you some basketball questions here, Russ. And New Mexico State, obviously, very good last year. Could have made a run in the tournament, had uh, – had we had a tournament, uh, traveling queen and uh, Milan Aqua, actually, uh, Rachel and I were just talking about this in our last segment. Milan announced he's not coming back to CBU. He was a junior last year, WAC Player of the Year 
uh, is going to he entered the NBA draft. And either way, he's he's not going to come back to CBU. Trevlin uh, was the tournament MVP last time we had a tournament. Uh, both those guys are, are being mentioned as potential draft picks. Obviously, you've seen a lot of NBA caliber players and coached some NBA players. Uh, do you see uh, maybe those guys being possible, maybe second-round pick type guys? Well, I can, give, I can give you a better assessment of Trevlin Queen just because I saw him so, so many more times. Uh, and, and I've had two NBA people call me, so I know that they're serious. If they're calling the announcer, I think they're you know, just looking, you know, just looking for tidbits. And what I noticed about Trevlin Queen, I remember when he first took the court, I thought, what's the big deal with this guy? But, you know, this is what his junior year. And then he just kept getting better and better and better. And, you know, Chris Jans, if you don't play defense, you can forget about, you know, he might not even let you warm up with the team if you don't play defense. And, and, and Trevlin Queen's defense kept getting better and better. And he had a great sense of anticipation on defense. He'd come up with a lot of steals and, and block shots. And he just, he just, uh, he's just a very, very talented guy. And the thing, the thing I noticed about him is the rapid improvement. And then last, you know, about a year ago, or maybe a little more, a little less than a year ago, oh, he hurts the knee. Boy, my, my heart sunk. I thought this poor guy's made such radical improvement. And then when he came back out there, I thought he's out there too soon. Look, he's not playing with confidence. He's dragging the leg around. But sure enough, the same thing. He kept getting better and better. And here's what I told the NBA people. Because, uh, you know, after the after the game is over, I don't want to fight traffic. I usually just put my feet up and sit and talk to Adam Young, our great, maybe the best young play-by-play guy in America. And so we're just, it happened just a, a half dozen times where we're sitting there looking at the stats and saying, well, wasn't that great? Just waiting for the parking lot to clear out because the parking lot, you know, when you, when you have a huge crowd can be a mess. And waiting for the parking lot to clear out. Here comes Trevlin Queen with a manager after the game that he played in Sometimes played well, sometimes didn't play well. And he'd sit there and work on his shooting for, for who knows how long. I mean, it would go on for a half hour and then I'd take off and he was still out there shooting. And I think, you know, he's, you know, he's really, really dedicated. Uh, he's has made shown great dedication to improvement. And the, the whack players that I coached that did well in the NBA, Tim Hardaway and Antonio Davis, neither of them were done improving even at age, you know, even into their twenties and early thirties. And so, I think that's a good sign is I think a lot of players think I'm done improving when I'm 22. And I think Trevlin Queen has bought into the idea that he can keep getting better. Now, Russ, I know you may not be able to tell us exactly what teams called you, but could you give us a little tip (laughs) and maybe a little hint at who called you? Oh, oh, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, although I think they're all paranoid of being sort of outed as showing too much interest, but it was, it was the Miami heat and the Memphis Grizzlies. So I happen to know a, a scout with the Miami Heat that, that was, he's actually Dwayne Wade's high school coach. So I've known him for many, many years. And then, and then, uh, and then Chris Wallace from the, from the Memphis Grizzlies uh, that had been the general manager of the Grizzlies and, and also uh, of the Boston Celtics. Now, my guess is if those two are calling me, that there's dozens of teams calling, you know, because I don't know as, as much about Trevlin Queen as Chris Chans does, or James James Miller, or, or Corey Becker, or any of the you know David Anwar, or, or Casey Owens, who who'd been in has been in the NBA for a few years and and in the G League, so they know a lot. And I tell both of them, you need to call those guys because they know a lot more. But I think they were hoping for that kind of story, like the not so much an assessment of his three point shooting, but that kind of story about him coming down to the court after the game was over and everybody's gone and bringing a manager down and working on his shots. Well, Russ, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Rachel, you can't, uh, she can't help it. She's an investigative reporter. She's got to get to the bottom of things. <laughs> well, I, I am myself. We've got to, you've got to dig deep to find, to find the real story. <laughs> well, Russ, want to thank you for taking some time out. Uh, again, our condolences uh, regarding the loss of Lou Henson and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you before too long. Uh, Maybe uh, by by the end of the year, hopefully, we'll be playing basketball again. Well, I, th- I think it was an exciting year for the WAC last year, even though the season got sort of cut short. But I, I'm I'm really optimistic about the league. I think there's some great young coaches, and uh, I look forward to the season as well. All right, that is Russ Bradbird. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Marlon Edge, Associate Commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. 
For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. And now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. We are now joined by Marlon Edge, Associate Commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference. Marlon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing good. How are you doing, Rach? I'm good. Yep. <laughs> no complaints on this nice Monday. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Marlon, we're just trying to hang in there with, with the news and, and kind of as we go along, we're recording our first segment earlier today and word came out that the Big Ten had canceled the uh, a fall season or at least postponed it. Uh, I have since seen reports refuting that, uh, but I, I do believe as we're recording this on a Monday, this doesn't air until Tuesday. Who knows what the situation will be by the time this program airs, Marlon, but uh, obviously if, if a Power 5 conference pulls the plug on the fall, that's going to impact uh, all of NCAA Division One. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, with, with, with the Big Tens, uh and the Pac-12s, uh, I guess, anticipated decisions uh, being made tomorrow. That's obviously going to going to going to cause uh, the, the the ultimate domino effect, uh, right? But I think it actually started with uh, the announcement from the Mid American Conference uh, late last week on what they were going to do for uh, for fall sports for the 2020 uh, fall term. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. What happens as we as we move along uh, based on the decisions that are made, uh, obviously, by the Big Ten and potentially the Pac-12 and uh, potentially the other three of the autonomy conferences as well moving forward. Marlon, do you think that there's a chance that we will see fall sports in the spring? Uh, there is a there there there. Uh, the, the potential is there. OK, but with everything else COVID-19 uh, related, you know, it, it, it's, it's premature to speculate what direction the NCAA and ultimately the conferences uh, will go. Uh, you know, as of right now, uh, the, the, the determination if, if fall championships will be conducted in the fall will be made by the Division One Board of Directors on, on August 21st. And, and so, you know, based on that decision, if they decide to, to pull the plug, uh, I would anticipate the discussions for moving fall competition and uh, championships to the spring uh, will will intensify. Okay, so uh, NCAA and the NCAA championship staff have have stated that any decisions on moving the championships will be made with, of course, uh, the the safety of student athletes and uh, others involved at the top of that list. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, their decisions are their decisions are going to be made on uh, based on assessments of the operational, uh, logistical and financial impact of conducting championships, as well as the scientific data that's available at that time. Uh, you know, those decisions will be made. So it's going to be interesting to see what the what the what's what's put forward and, and what the, the board of governors at the NCA level is ultimately going to, to to decide there. We're talking with Marlon Edge, the WAC Associate Commissioner of Compliance and Governance. So, uh, Marlon, you're uh, in contact with the NCAA and all kinds of Zoom calls and that type of thing. Uh, imagine almost on a daily basis at this point. Um, those conversations obviously uh, coming to a boil here. I know in the Western Athletic Conference, we're talking about August 14th as, as kind of a, a deadline, which I believe was imposed by the NCAA in terms of trying to figure out if they're going to have fall championships this year. Is that right? Yes, that, 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 is, that is correct. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, again, that decision is going to be made uh, by, the, by the Division One Board of Directors at the direction of the NCAA Board of Governors. So uh, that, that, that date on, on whether fall championships will be conducted uh, this fall term will, will be made uh, by the Division One Board of Directors on uh, actually Friday, August 21st. Now, when it comes to the August 14th date, that is the date that uh, the, the Division One Board of Directors will uh, consider recommendations made by the uh, Division One Council uh, from their meetings on Wednesday, uh, the, 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 the 12th. 
right? And 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 the more immediate action from the Division One Council uh, this week will be in the areas of of of, of scholarship protection for student athletes mm-hmm. who may choose to opt out of their seasons, uh, prohibiting institutions from requiring student athletes to waive. Uh, their legal rights to practice and compete and uh, institutions covering the out-of-pocket health costs. If it is reasonably believed uh, that student athletes contracted COVID as a result of their participation in, in sports and uh, you know, those along with some other decisions will be made um, will, will be considered and, and put forward to the board of directors for uh, action on Friday the 14th. So those two dates, uh, Friday, August 14th and Friday, August 21st are the uh, two most important upcoming dates as far as fall championships are related. And the other part of that, uh, Marlon, was that uh, the NCAA did have a 50% rule, I believe, where at least 50% of the teams that ha- sponsor the sport need to be competing in order to have a championship. Now, they were willing to uh, waive some of the requirements in terms of uh, how many contests you have to have, but uh, I got to think we're, we're nearing that 50% no matter what. Maybe the decision gets made without making a decision. That is, that is correct. So uh, what the NCAA, uh, one of their, I guess, uh, you can call assumptions – is is that for for NCAA championships in a in a particular sport to to occur, uh, a minimum of fifty percent of uh, institutions in that particular sport must be participating in a uh, in a regular season competition schedule, and uh, will be eligible to to compete in in, in championships. So uh, you know, as of right now. Sports that are, uh, you know, that that are below that fifty percent standard uh, don't include any of the sports that we sponsor. But uh, you know, there's some other sports uh, that are kind of getting closer to that fifty percent threshold. And then you know, those decisions will be made on uh, if they're going to conduct uh, championships uh, if they you know fall below that threshold at some point during uh, the fall. What are the transfer rules? So say one conference does cancel it. Are there like limitations that if students wanted to transfer to say a conference that didn't cancel sports, is there anything in that area? Right. Right. And, and that will be determined by the council. Uh, that, that'll be kind of one of the, one of the things that the council uh, uh, goes over this week during, during their meetings. So, you know, uh, what, what goes into those decisions could possibly be, Hey, uh, are there going to be certain dates to where, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a deadline for student athletes to transfer by a certain date or or, or what have you, right? So, um, all kind of considerations in in that space, but but again, that will be uh, considered and and uh, recommendation will be put forward uh, to the board of directors as part of their decision making process here uh, this week. And Marlon, with uh, we've seen some conferences already come out and say, okay, we're not going to play in the fall. We're going to move or try to move uh, games to the spring. What, uh, what you talked a little bit about uh, some of the impact that would have there, but uh, in terms of, you know, with graduations, eligibilities, I mean, that's, uh, you know, we, when we had the spring season uh, canceled last year, there was not really any talk of, okay, let's try it again in the fall. A lot of that had to do with seniors, that type of mm-hmm. thing. But um, it does seem there's quite a few conferences talking about uh, playing in the spring, which, um, yeah, I think eligibility-wise would uh, would be a tough situation. Yes, yes. And, and, and again, that's part of what's going to be determined uh, this, this week as well, uh, you know, how that looks uh, moving forward. So there's all kind of talk out there right now on, hey, uh, can, we, can we just scrap it and, and make it a uh, what is termed as a zero, I guess, uh, season and, and move forward from there. Right. But, um, you know, as as in uh, what happened during the spring 2020, uh, that will be considered as well on how eligibility wise um, student athletes who did not have the opportunity to compete in the fall uh, will, uh, you know, move forward with uh, seasons of competition relief, uh, extensions of clocks of their five year clock uh, moving forward. So all of that, again, uh, will be will be discussed in. 
determine this week uh, as the Division One Council meets and makes their recommendations to the board of directors. We've seen a lot of student athletes go on Twitter and talk about either really wanting to play or not wanting to because of safety concerns. And you run our mm-hmm. SAC, which is Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And so how do you think that the students here in the WAC have really kind of taken on that message of, you know, safety versus wanting to play? Right. And they, they just really have a lot of questions right now. Uh, necessarily, didn't, didn't necessarily have uh, that discussion on, hey, we feel strongly one way or the other. Right now, they just have a, a whole lot of questions on what ifs, right? What if uh, seasons are canceled? How is eligibility going to look? Um, you know, what's what's going to what, what's it going to be mean for fall sports in the spring? So just various questions from the SAC, uh, but not necessarily any any strong feeling one way or the other. My 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 assumption is, hey, they want to play, but then also number two, they want to be safe and and have a a, a guarantee of safety if they do uh, practice and compete. So uh, th- those are kind of the, the, the discussions that uh, uh, the SAC have been having, again, more so uh, questions uh, than, 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 than anything at this point. We're talking with Marlon Edge, a WAC Associate Commissioner. Marlon, among the other topics uh, that uh, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee has been talking about include social justice initiatives. I know we're planning a few things here in the WAC uh, involving uh, Black Lives Matter, also a Stay Safe campaign. Uh, I know you're also uh, trying to get something going in the WAC, uh, similar to what the NCAA is doing with uh, reviewing uh, social justice initiatives. Where does that stand uh, for the upcoming year? Right. Currently uh, uh, working on uh, an initial framework for a conference-wide social justice civic engagement Alliance, and uh, you know that's kind of in conjunction with uh, with some of the other stuff that's going on uh, as far as as far as uh, voter awareness and education and, and and such. But specifically related to a an alliance in the social justice civic engagement realm, uh, you know, just been really having those conversations over the last couple months or so with with some of the uh, administrators uh, within our membership, and based on those conversations. Uh, you know, uh, kind of came up with an initial framework for how an alliance would work, and and really, you know, don't really want to 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 uh, to get too far in, in, into it right now. I'm a little reticent on kind of divulging some stuff because it could change here with uh, you know feedback based uh, based on our uh, well from our various governance groups, right? But the framework is, is really just kind of built around two areas. One is uh, the establishment of programs for the education and uh, professional development of ethnic minority student athletes, athletic administrators, and other institutional staff uh, members within our membership. And then that, that's, that's more of the on-campus uh, uh, part of it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the social justice civic engagement uh, side of it is 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 the creation of social justice and civic engagement initiatives for the betterment of the local communities in our membership's uh, footprint. And, and, and again, uh, details, we do have details that are a part of the framework, but again, just a little bit reticent on, on, on fully divulging what those details look at at this time. And uh, this week is going to be a big week in, in, in that feedback process, obviously, uh, you know, within the conference office, you know, it, uh, uh, the information is out there and, and, and eagerly awaiting the, the feedback we get from within the office. But then uh, later on this week, we'll be meeting with our faculty athletic representatives to, to get some feedback. And then at the end of this week, meeting with our athletic administrators groups, the ADs and senior women administrators and getting their feedback. And obviously, we talked about this with the SAC as well. So uh, there will definitely be, definitely be more information coming in the very near future uh, on this alliance, um, it, it, which, which, we're, which we're anticipating will be starting here in the next month or so and uh, seeing how that will look forward in the future as we continue on with this alliance. It won't be a one academic year type thing. This is something that I'm hopeful will be uh, in place uh, consistently for the future. 
Marlon, one of the major things that NCAA was dealing with was pre-COVID was the name image likeness situation. What updates are there based on that, if any? Right, right. And that, that seems to have taken a back seat to the pandemic <laughs> because pre, pre-pandemic, that was the, the, major, the major issue, right? But uh, work on name image and likeness by the Legislative and Solutions uh, Group is, is ongoing. So currently, the group is is seeking feedback from Division One conferences as uh, they are in the process of developing proposals for votes uh, in January of 2021. So now those proposals uh, that will be developed are 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 based around three concepts: uh, name, image, and likeness activities without institutional involvement, uh, student athlete business activities, and then third party promotional activities. Now there's also some. Uh, additional administrative framework around these three areas, but those are, are the areas that the proposals will be, will, will be based off of. Um, the proposals will be looked at uh, uh, to be submitted to the NCAA by uh, the November deadline for legislative proposals um, and uh, will be put forward for a vote in January of 2021. So that's, that's, that's related to the name, image, and likeness space. Um, you know, again, it's kind of taking a little bit of a back seat, but it, it is still uh, very much uh, at, at the front of minds uh, NCAA wise and uh, Division One, Two, II, and Three membership wise as well. So, well, hey, Marlon, we want to thank you for taking some time out. I know it's been a very busy uh, past few weeks, especially for you. Probably a very busy week ahead as well, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be in contact with you about. Uh, you know, any uh, potential changes that will be happening in the next few weeks? Yes, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for, for having me. And, uh, yeah, again, we're looking for some, uh, some major uh, information coming here in the next week or so. Appreciate it. All right, that is Marlon Edge, Associate Commissioner of the Western Athletic Conference. I also want to thank Russ Bradbird for visiting with us in our second segment. And we want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast. Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WACSports.com.